How you guys doing today? You look good? Yeah. Um, I've got up here a Bible that a friend got for me at an antique store in Colorado. And this Bible was printed in 1866. It's a beautiful Bible, isn't it? What you don't know is this Bible is really heavy. It weighs about 20 pounds. Literally, I mean, you could work out with this Bible spiritually and physically. I mean, it's huge. Talk about beating someone over the head with the Bible. Use this one, okay? Now, fortunately, that's not the way I preach. But, I mean, it's an amazing Bible, and I think it's only appropriate that it's heavy, that it's really weighty, because the story contained in this book is the weightiest story, the heaviest story, because it's weighted with meaning. It has the heaviness of purpose all the way through it, because the Bible is the story of God's purpose for the world and God's purpose for you. Now, maybe you would say that if your life was contained in the pages of a book, it would be really lightweight, uh, that it would be filled with meaningless chapters and purposeless pages. But that's not the story that God wants to write of you. God loves the story of you, and when you let God write your story, then he fills every sentence with meaning. He fills every page with purpose because he is a purposeful God. He doesn't do anything without a purpose. He doesn't create anything without a purpose, including you. And the story of you, he wants to fill with purpose. He wants every word to drip with the weight of meaning in your life. And so that's what we're gonna look at today because we're in this series that we're calling the story of you. It's how to let God redeem your past and rewrite your story. Now, this is a true story of one of the craziest things that ever happened in college football, and it happened way back in 1929 at the Rose Bowl on New Year's Day. It was a game that was between Georgia Tech and the University of California, and just before halftime, in front of 60,000 fans, a Georgia Tech fullback fumbled the ball and it happened to pop up and land right into the hands of the lineman from Cal, Roy Regals. And Roy Regals, being a defensive lineman, wasn't used to catching the football, but he was surprised as anyone that it landed right in his arms and so he took off running. As soon as he started running, he was tackled and he almost fell down, but somehow he spun around and stayed on his feet. He started running toward the goal line and he began to run as fast as he'd ever run. I mean, it, it was an amazing play. And there was nothing between Roy Regals and the goal line until at the one yard line, he was tackled. He was tackled by a player from his own team because Roy Regals had run 60 yards the wrong way. And Georgia Tech ended up getting a, a safety from Roy's terrible blunder that spread like wildfire all across the United States. Eventually, they would call him Wrong Way Roy everywhere he went. But because of that, Cal went into the locker room at halftime down two to nothing because Roy had run the wrong way. 
And folks, I think there are a lot of people in life who are running toward the goal line and they're running as fast as they can. They're running with all their might and they don't even realize they're running toward the wrong goal. They're running the wrong way. So many, I think, are building a success story, building a book with their life that they feel like is weighty because it looks really good on the outside. It's filled with a lot of pages, but those pages have no purpose. And every sentence is shallow. It may be a success story, but if there's no purpose to the pages, then what's the purpose? I think a lot of people are gonna be climbing the ladder of success and they're gonna make it to the top. They're gonna climb the ladder of success. It's just they're gonna find out when they get to the top, it was up against the wrong wall the whole time. And all the meaning and purpose and fulfillment that they thought was there isn't there. Or maybe your story is a busy story, a hectic story. It's a stressful story, but there's no significance, no fulfillment in your story. That's not the way God wants it to be. Because God always uses the pen of purpose to write your story. When you let God write your story, it's filled with purpose. And true happiness comes from really understanding and living the purpose that God made you for. And so that's what we're looking at today. And we're gonna look at a guy named David, who is a man who lived a life of purpose. One of my favorite verses in scripture is Acts 13, 36. It says, David served God's purpose in his own generation, then he died. Wow. I, I love that verse. That's a powerful verse. I mean, there's no greater last sentence that could be written in your story on the last page before the book of your life is closed on this earth than to have it said about you that you served God's purpose in your generation, then you died. I mean, that's powerful. That just means that David did what God made him to do. That David did exactly what he was created to do. And God wants you to do with your life what he made you to do. So when you come to the final page of your life, before the book of your life is closed, you won't have wasted your life. Your life will have mattered. You need more than success. You need significance to know that your life matters. God made you with the desire to know that your life matters because he wants your life to matter. When you come to that last sentence, Will there be something said like that? That you served God's purpose in your generation? That you did all that God wanted you to do? That you didn't waste your life trying to live someone else's story? That you didn't try to follow everyone else's storyline, but you lived the unique story for God's glory that he had for you? Well, I want us to turn to Psalm 139 because David here writes something so powerful that if you don't understand this, you'll never really live a story of purpose. If you don't understand how your story starts, then there's no way it's gonna end with you looking back and being able to say, I really lived God's purpose. I didn't do what everyone else thought I should do. You know, maybe no one else thinks I'm a success, but I'm a success because I did what God called me to do. I fulfill the purpose for which I was made, and there's no greater fulfillment than knowing you're doing what God made you to do. 
And so would you stand in honor of God's word, Woodlands Church, and I wanna welcome all you guys worshiping with us at our satellite campuses. Woodlands Church at Tascacita, you guys are awesome. Woodlands Church North Point, we're back up, going strong, and um, doing great. And all you guys here in the Woodlands, and everyone connecting with us through our broadcast ministry or online ministry, I know there are thousands of you right now worshiping with us you know, in this area and all over the world, and we're one church, and we wanna stay connected during this time. It's so important to stay connected to your family. Stay connected to your family of God, and so that's what you guys are doing. We're all connected as one, and God is doing something amazing at Woodland Church in us and through us right now. And I'm just telling you, I've never seen God move the way he's moving, and we've seen so many miracles throughout 26 years at Woodland Church. But I'm telling you, it's amazing what God is doing. And you just get ready, because I believe God is bringing such a great renewal and a great revival. You know, you, you watch the news and you see all this stuff at this level that's so evident and all the things and the problems in our nation and all these things, but, but down below, I mean, you know, up here, presidential elections, you know, all these things, and they're important, don't get me wrong. But down here, where the things are really happening, God is moving like never before. And it's so cool to know that history is his story. And it's all moving to a crescendo for his glory. And God is in control and God is on the throne. And it's amazing. And so ask God to tune you in this next week, not just to the news, but to tune you in to the real news of what's really going on in our world today. Well, let's just follow along, Psalm 139, verse 13. David said, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It is amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You were there while I was being formed in utter seclusion. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. Dear God, I thank you that you want us to live a life of purpose. And when we give you the pen, your pen is always filled with purpose, Lord. And, and everything you write has a purpose. And there's no problem that we're going through that can stop your purpose. And, and Lord, there's no failures in our lives that can Stop your purpose from going forward. But Lord, we all wanna align our lives with your purpose so we can find that fulfillment because that real fulfillment only comes from discovering and living your purpose for our lives. And Lord, I know that so many are going through pain and difficulties and problems and, and you, Lord, wanna take all the pain and write something purposeful out of it. You never waste a hurt you never waste a sorrow. You never waste a teardrop. But, Lord, we can. So help us not to waste, Lord, the struggles. But you turn those struggles into stars. And over the next few moments, that you would just work miracles is only you can. Because you know where everyone's at and what they're going through. And you care. And you have the power to do something about it. We ask you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. And I love that last sentence of that passage that we just read. Every day was recorded in your book. So God is the one who writes your story in his book of purpose. You see, the whole 
purpose revolves around God. But God wants your story to be included in the grand purpose of life. And when your story is written into the grand purpose of life, then you have purpose and you find meaning and fulfillment. I want us first to notice from this passage that your story of purpose begins with God. Your story begins and it ends with God. David starts by saying, you God made me. So there's no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I did it all myself and I achieved it all myself. And I wanna say, well, who gave you your health? Who gave you those abilities? Who gives you your very breath? Who brought you into this world? God made you and he keeps making you. Who gives you your very heartbeat and who could take it away in an instant? God. God made you. David said, you, God, made me. To discover your purpose, it always starts with God. That's why the first four words in the first sentence of the whole Bible story is, in the beginning, God. It all starts with God. And if you don't start with God, you'll never discover your purpose. It doesn't start with you, it starts with the one who made you. How in the world are you gonna discover why you were made until you first go to the one who made you and ask him why you were made? He made you, he made you for a purpose, so you gotta start with God, the one who made you. He's the creator and you have to go to him to find out what you were created for or you'll never find fulfillment. And so it always starts with God. And by the way, if it doesn't start with God, then there's no purpose. If there is no God, then there's no purpose. Sometimes I talk to atheists or agnostics who say, well, I don't believe in God, but I believe in life has a purpose. You can't. I mean, if there is no God who created us for a purpose, then there is no purpose. We're all just here by accident, and so do whatever, you know? But fortunately, there is a God, a God who loves us, a God who cares, and it starts with God, and when you go to God, then you're going to the one who reveals your purpose. You were made by God, and you matter to God. And maybe you feel like today your story is insignificant, that no one else really cares about your story. I want you to know that your story matters to God. Maybe you feel like no one else really cares about your story. No one cares what you're going through. God does. Maybe no one else does, but God does. The one who counts cares. He cares about your story. He loves your story. With all the beauty and the ugliness and the, and the miracles and the mess, he loves you. He cares about you. And he loves your story. Did you know your story started before you were born? David says, God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. So God brought you to life in your mother's womb, and so your story starts even before you took your first breath. Your story starts right there in the mother's womb. People ask today, well, when does life begin? When does life begin? But the creator of life already decided when life begins, when he starts it, and he says it starts at conception. It starts in the womb. Politicians can debate it. The Supreme Court can try to decide it, but God already decided it because he's the one that created life. The one who created life decides when life starts, and he says, starts in the womb. God 
created you and he brought you to life in the womb. And God planned your story before you were born. David says, you saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. You see, with God, there's no such thing as an unplanned pregnancy. You know, regardless of the circumstances of your birth, you were planned by God, for God, for God's purpose. You're not an accident. God planned you. You were planned by God. Regardless of the circumstances of your birth, God planned you and you were planned for a purpose. There's no unplanned pregnancies with God. God plans us. And then it says God planned the number of pages in your book before you were born. He planned the number of days that you would live on this earth before you were born. Did you know that? That, that everyone has a life book and God has already planned out the number of pages, the number of days. Now, we decide how we live those days. We decide what's written in those pages. We can try to write our own story that'll be filled with meaningless chapters, purposeless pages, or we can give the pen to God and let him fill our lives with purpose. But God decides how many days we have. Our grandson, Jude Samuel, God gave him one day on this earth outside the womb. And we don't understand it. And it will hurt deeply until we get to heaven. We still miss him so very, very much, but we know and we're comforted to know that God planned that he would have one page. But Jude did more in that one page to bring about meaning and purpose and life change than most of us do in over 20,000 days on this earth. And did you know Jude Samuel's last sentence in that one page is the same as David's? Jude served God's purpose on this earth by living that one day. Why? Because God said, Jude, just breathe. Just breathe. Just breathe today. Just breathe this day. And he did it beautifully and boldly. He fulfilled God's purpose for his life. And that's the greatest thing that can be said about any of us, that we did with our pages what God called us to do, and we let him write the story. And so God gave Jude one day, but he did exactly what God called him to do that day, and God keeps using him to bring people to know him. God keeps using him in our lives in such a powerful way, and and God chose he would have that one day. I don't know why he chose for Jude to have one day and me to get thousands of days and many of those days I've wasted or lived selfishly. I, I don't know. But that's why abortion is so wrong because humankind can't short circuit God's plan because it's God who determines the number of our days. And so we don't get to determine the number of our days. That goes against God's plan. And, and I say this not out of judgment or trying to put guilt on anyone who's had an abortion because we're all sinners. We're all in the same boat. I mean, we all need God's grace and God's forgiveness. And it's so important for us to understand that if we give God the pen, he takes the pain from our past. He takes the mistakes from our past and he can write them into purpose. Even the most painful chapters, even our greatest failures, all of our sins, and we're all in the same boat. We all need God's 
pen of forgiveness and grace to rewrite the story of our life and take it from pain to purpose, but God can do that, and only God can do that. And as Christ followers, it's so important for us to be in the redeeming business because God can redeem our past and rewrite our future. And we need to be in the redeeming business for everyone. And that's what it's all about. And that's one of the reasons why we support the Crisis Pregnancy Assistance Center North here. Because we support them because they come along young women who find themselves in crisis pregnancies and and they have nowhere to turn. And a lot of times they just get judgment and they get isolated. Sometimes their families judge them and sometimes even their churches judge them and instead of loving them and caring for them in the Crisis Pregnancy Assistance Center, they come alongside them and help them have that child to realize that they can choose life and they're not all alone. And that's why we have our foster care and adoption ministry here at Woodland Church because there's no such thing as an unwanted child. You know, God wants every single one of them. And that's why we do the ministries that we do because everyone needs to know they matter to God in such a powerful way. That's why we do what we do in our inner city ministries. That's what we do for our homeless ministries. That's why we do what we do because we're all the same. We're on the same boat. We need God's grace. We need God's love. We need God's strength. You are made by God. You matter to God. You are planned by God and you are planned for a purpose. So the question is, what is your purpose? What is our purpose? The Westminster Confession puts it this way and it just really kind of encapsulates the scriptures. Our whole purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You could even say it, our whole purpose is to glorify God by enjoying him forever because that glorifies God. So the reason that God placed you on this earth is to glorify him, to lift him up. And you do that by enjoying him, by being in a joy relationship with the God who made you, by being connected to the God who made you and living a life of joy where you step out in faith and you risk being vulnerable, open and honest and you risk loving others and you risk rejection, you risk being open about your brokenness and your struggles and you risk rejection but you can be open, you can be truly you, completely and truly you. That brings glory and honor to God when you be who he created you to be. Use the gifts and the abilities and the resources and your unique abilities and passions to be who God made you to be. That's when you discover true fulfillment. Glorifying him, it's not about you, it's all about God. And when you glorify God, he gives you joy and you find the fulfillment that you've always longed for. I want you to, Ask yourself this question today. Sometime, I'm gonna give you a couple of questions I want you to really think about. The first one is this. See, our first purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, to be in a love relationship with God. What will be the center of your life? You wanna ask yourself, what will be the center of your life? Because if anything other than God is at the center of your life, then you're not gonna find your purpose. You've gotta put the one who made you at the center of your life. And when you put God at the center of your life, and you'll put something at the center of your life. You were made to worship. God created you to worship him. And if you don't worship God, you'll worship something. It may be a career. It may be a relationship. It may be possessions, maybe a hobby. But if you don't put God at the center, you'll put something at the center because you were made to put something at the center of your life. You were made to worship. And so 
What is the center of your life? What does your life revolve around? Gotta ask that question before you find your purpose. God wants you to be in a joy relationship with him, enjoying life, and joy has nothing to do with happiness, by the way. Happiness, you get that when something happy happens to you. When, you know, the things that are going on around your circumstances, the happenings around you are good. And a lot of times they're not, and so you're not happy. But joy, on the other hand, catches you by surprise. It comes sometimes from the middle of your deepest pain. You find joy. It's unexplainable. It comes from the Lord God. It comes from knowing you're right in the middle of God's will. In the middle of it all and the struggles that you go through, you're right in the middle of God's will. You're in his purpose and in his plan. We're created to be in a joy relationship with God, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. But there's a virus that's even worse than the coronavirus, this virus of sin that we're all infected with. And it creates shame. And shame is a cancer that eats away at all of us. Shame tries to show up on every page of our story to try to blot out the purpose that God is trying to pin. I want us to go back to the very beginning of the real story, the greatest story ever told in God's word. In Genesis chapter two, verse 25, after God created man and woman, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. What a powerful and beautiful passage. It's not just talking about physically, they weren't ashamed you know, of each other and of themselves. It's talking about something so much deeper that, that there was no shame. They were in this love relationship with God and each other where they could be totally themselves, totally vulnerable, and there was no shame. There was none of those feelings of shame and trying to hide out and try to cover up and they felt totally open and honest and loved. Totally loved, totally accepted. And that's the relationship that God wants for us. But then in Genesis 3, 7, after sin enters the relationship and they eat the fruit that God tells them not to eat, this is what happens right away. Then the eye of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So as soon as sin, this virus of sin, entered the relationship, what happens? This disease of shame hits. You know, all the symptoms of shame come into their relationship, and what do they do? It says their eyes were open, and they feel embarrassed. They feel ashamed. They feel ashamed of themselves. And they want to cover up, and all they've got is fig leaves to cover up, and so they cover up with fig leaves, and today we cover up with image, trying to impress others, trying to give others a storyline of ourselves that we want them to think is our story. And we leave out all our struggles. We leave out all of our problems and our pain because we just want an image. Why? Because we don't want to be vulnerable because if I'm vulnerable and I have no fig leaves on, you may reject me. If I don't put the image up, then you may not like me. You may hurt me. And so shame causes us to try to cover up. Shame, when deep down our deepest longings to be totally known and totally loved, totally known and totally accepted. And in the marriage relationship, that shame comes in constantly. In our relationship with God, the enemy always wants shame to come in to say, you can't go to God. I mean, look at all the 
junk in your life. Look at all the mess. And shame keeps us from being close in a joy relationship with God when God says, that's not the story I wanna write for you. But it seems like that shame starts creeping up on every page and in Genesis 3, 8, it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, hiding is the natural response to shame. How crazy, they thought they could hide from God but you know, they just didn't wanna be close to God because they were ashamed of what they had done and, and that shame pushed them into hiding. And that was the worst thing that they could have done because the more we hide from God and others, we hide our struggles, we hide our sins because of the fear of being vulnerable. The more we hide, the further away we move from joy. But the more we move into the light, the more shame begins to dissipate because it gets disinfected in the light. That virus of shame gets disinfected in the light. We move toward the light of truth and honesty. You see, the story of the Bible is the story of God pursuing a love relationship with humankind. And the only way to cure the virus of shame is at the foot of the cross. Instead of to hide the shame, to hide the struggles, to hide the brokenness, we step into it. We step into it and we go to the cross with all of our shame and God's grace is greater than our shame. You see, if you run from your shame, then you run from God's grace. If you step into it and face it, your brokenness and your sins, and you go to the cross with it, you get his grace, which is greater than all our sin and shame. That's what David did. You see, David, this guy of great purpose, who had this joyful relationship with God where he danced before the Lord, you know, and he, he was a musician. He was a great warrior. He was this tough guy, and he just lived for God all out and didn't care what anyone thought about him. This king, this amazing king, messed up brilliantly. One of the chapters of his life was just a disgusting chapter of selfishness and betrayal. He commits adultery with Bathsheba and has her husband put on the front lines and murdered. And what does he do? At first, he tries to act like it's no big deal. He hides it at first. Then he tries to rationalize it. He's king, it's okay. He pretends that it didn't happen, but the shame starts eating him alive. And in Psalm, 51, he writes this hymn of coming into grace, this hymn of brokenness. He says, oh, loving and kind God, have mercy, have pity upon me and take away the awful stain of my transgression. Oh, wash me, cleanse me from this guilt. Let me be pure again, for I admit my shameful deed. It haunts me day and night. It is against you and you alone I sinned and did this terrible thing. You saw it all and your sentence against me is just, but I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. You deserve honesty from the heart. Yes, utter sincerity and truthfulness. Oh, give me this wisdom. So here he is totally broken, saying, God, forgive me of this shameful deed. It haunts me day and night. The shame is eating me alive. It's keeping me hiding from you. So I just bring all the ugliness to you. And it doesn't get any uglier than this. And I bring it to you and ask you to somehow bring beauty out of all of my sins. 
and he receives the forgiveness that only God can give. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, and give me back the joy of your salvation. Keep me strong by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach your ways to those who do wrong and sinners will turn back to you. You see what he's saying is, and God, give me back my purpose, the joy of my salvation to know that you saved me. I didn't deserve it. I can't earn it. God, I, I, I just want you to give me back that joy that you fill me up with that joy. Then other sinners like myself are gonna see it and they're gonna turn to you. They're gonna say, I want what that guy's got. And see, that's God's purpose. God's purpose is that he'll be the center of your life. And when he is, he'll fill you with joy that nothing else can. And you'll have a joy that people can't explain. And then you'll care about others and you'll meet the needs of others. You'll serve others and they will come to know Christ. And so I wanna ask you a second question. What will be the contribution of your life? When it's all said and done, will it be just selfish sentences? Or will you have a content that is a contribution that will last for eternity? That only comes when you have the joy of the Lord and that joy you use to serve others and serve and serve others and meet the needs of others. And you don't judge others. You don't criticize others, but you love others and you bring them into the kingdom of God. You don't look down on others. The ground's level at the foot of the cross. And so David then says in Psalm 51, 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Not a proud heart, not a hiding heart, not a pretending heart, but just, God, I'm broken. I'm like everyone else. I'm broken. I'm hurting. Here's the ugliness. I give it to you. And that's the only way you find the grace that overcomes it all so you can have the joy of your salvation, a joy you can never earn or deserve. You see, if you hide away, you hide from grace. But when you step into it, into that brokenness and the ugly chapters of your life, then God takes a pen of purpose and somehow he writes beauty out of my greatest failures. Somehow he writes fulfillment out of the failures. Somehow he brings purpose out of the pain. It's amazing what God can do. But there are three responses to God's grace that I want us to look at. Three responses to God's grace that we see all through the Bible story. You may say, well, it's beneath me. You know, that's kind of like the alcoholic who, who is in denial and is like, yeah, yeah, I have a few drinks, you know, every night, but I mean, come on, I'm not that bad, I can handle it, I'm okay. Instead of just admitting, I'm broken. But we all do that at times because we compare ourselves. You know, it's like, yeah, I've got to struggle with this, but I mean, it's not as bad as, as those guys over there. You know, I've got to struggle with this, but I mean, that's really bad there. Or I did this sin, but it's not as bad as this sin or this sin. When God says it's all the same, it's beneath me. You see, out of pride so many times, we compare ourselves and we think, well, I'm not that bad. I can kind of, you know, work on this a little bit and fix this struggle and kind of get out of this sin. It's not that bad. No, it's so bad that it caused the God of the universe to send his one and only son to be executed in such an extremely shameful and painful 
way up on the cross. And it was the only way he could save us because our sins are that bad. And so when I compare and when I say, well, it's beneath me, I don't need the grace that much, then I miss out on the grace and I miss out on living my purpose, the joy of the Lord that saves me, that, that I couldn't earn or deserve, that I can be myself broken, ugly chapters, struggles, but totally loved by God. So I can risk loving you even if you reject me because I'm accepted by the only one that matters. And so that's joy, that's joy, that's what God wants for you. He wants you to live in that purpose, but shame will say hide, 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 and you'll miss out on your purpose. And you'll miss out on joy, you'll miss out on fulfillment that God wants for you. It says in James 4, 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God will give grace when you admit your brokenness. Or you can say, it's behind me. It's beneath me or it's behind me. And a lot of people think, well, it's behind me. God, I mean, I've sinned so greatly. It's behind me. I, I can never now get your grace. Carrie, you don't know what I've done. You're a pastor. You don't get it. You don't know what I've done. You don't. Well, I can tell you this. There's no sin greater than God's grace. His grace covers it all because he loves you so very much. It's not behind you. It's not behind you. In Ephesians 3.18, it says, may you be able to feel and understand as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is. And to experience this love for yourselves, though it is as great or so great that you will never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. And so at last, you'll be filled up with God himself. That's my prayer today, that God would give you just a little glimpse of how great and how deep how long, how wide God's grace is for you. His love is for you. That you can't run so far that you've run away from the grace of God. His grace will follow you. His grace will pursue you your whole life. His grace will never give up on you. It's not behind you. I don't know what you've done or where you've been, but come and join us and be a trophy of grace. We're all in the same boat. We all need the same Savior. We all need the same forgiveness. It's not behind you. Hey, let me go back to that Rose Bowl game in 1929 on January the 1st because Roy Regal sat in the locker room at halftime literally with tears in his eyes, this all-American lineman, tears in his eyes, and then Coach Price came up to him and said, Roy, get back out there. Everyone was running onto the field for the second half, and he said, Coach, I can't go back out there. He said, I've ruined everything. He said, I I've ruined you. I've ruined the University of California. I've ruined myself. He said, I can't even imagine going back out there and facing that crowd again after what I've done. I'm so ashamed. Shame kept him hiding in the locker room. But Coach Price said this. He said, Roy, get back out there. There's still another half to play. You got the whole second half ahead of you. It's not behind you, it's ahead of you. And something clicked in Roy's brain and he got up and he ran out on the field and he played like he had never played before the greatest half of his life. He recorded like 15 tackles, he blocked a punt that caused a touchdown and, and everyone admired him so much for what he had done. And because of his embarrassing wrong way run, 
He became really famous, and he was an All-American, and he got to talk about it over and over again about how he came back from that and how he didn't let that stop him. And he said that was one of the greatest moments of his life because he learned so much about life through that that you got the whole second half ahead of you. You can stay in the locker room and hide, or you can step back out on the field with God's power and God's strength, and you can let God write the rest of the story because you're not at the end of your story. Your story is not written yet. I don't care what you've done or where you've been. Your story is not written yet. You give the pen of purpose to God, and he will take it, and he will write purpose out of the pain. He will do something amazing. He'll write fulfillment out of your failures because he's the God who can do that because he is the God of the second chance. He is the God of grace. I want you to go back. Let's go back to Psalm 139. David says in verse 17, God, your plans are incomprehensible to me. Their total number is countless. If I tried to count them, they outnumber grains of sand. If I came to the very end, I'd still be with you. See, here's the amazing thing. He says, at the very end, when I come to the very last page of your plan for me on this earth, when I come to the very last page and the book of my life on this earth is closed, I am still with you because my story is an eternal story and my story is just beginning. My story is just beginning. Isn't that amazing? You see, your story starts with God and your story never ends with God. Your story is an eternal story that will live on because when the final page in the book of your life is closed, you will live on an eternity with Jesus Christ and your story will have just begun. I want us to bow together. Dear God, I come before you today and just humbly ask you, Lord Jesus, to use what I've said, your word, Lord, that is life-changing. I know that I can't change one life, but Lord, you can change thousands of lives with your word. And I pray that you would do that right now. I pray for all those who feel like their story's written, they feel like shame has the last word that you would tell them in their hearts that shame can never win over grace. And that your grace would just fill their hearts and minds and they would turn to you. And instead of hiding, that they would just be open to you and just reveal their brokenness and their sins and the ugly chapters of their lives because we all have them. And that they would find your grace they would experience your grace and they would live in your grace. And you would give them, Lord, that grace that is the power to change for your glory. And Lord, I just pray right now for everyone in our congregation who is going through a painful chapter, Lord, and, and they've been living for you, they've been seeking you, but yet they're in this chapter of loss, of pain, this chapter of setback, and that you would just work a miracle in their life, Lord that you would let them know that this is not the final chapter, that the whole second half is left. And the rest of their life will be the best of their life with your power and your strength, and you will take even these painful chapters and you're gonna use them, Lord, for your purpose. And that blessing is just around the bend. And Lord, I pray for those who've never received you, that right now they would receive your grace, that they would say this prayer to you silently, Jesus Christ, I need you. I ask you to save me. I can't save myself, 
I've got too many ugly chapters in my life. Forgive me of all my sins and come into my life with your Holy Spirit. Fill me up and change me from the inside out and I receive your free ticket to heaven that I can't earn or deserve. And then help me, Lord, be a healing agent in this world. Lord, we know there's so many problems, so much pain, so much hurt in our world today. Lord, and I know that you're the only one that can solve them. You're the only one that can really bring people to the cross and bring us together. You're the only one, Lord, that can do it, and we just pray that you would, that you would keep doing what you're doing, Lord, underneath the surface, and it's gonna come to the surface soon with your power and your glory. We see a lot of chaos and problems and pain, but Lord Jesus, you're still on the throne, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, now we're at the point of our service where we give back to God. And by the way, if you received Christ, if you prayed to receive Christ, then you can raise your hand online by checking, I received Christ. And our pastors are online right now. I know thousands of you are online. Our pastors are there to talk to you. And we've got pastors all around the auditoriums at our campuses. They wanna talk to you about how to grow in your faith. And now we give back to God. And the way we give, if you're at one of our campuses here at the Woodlands, Task of Cedar North Point, take out your smartphone right now. Just take it out. You can take out your smartphone. By the way, all the sermon notes are on your smartphone. If you get the Woodland Church app, you got all the, the bulletin on there. You got all the things that we're doing on there. But, but take it out right now. You don't even have to have the app to be able to give. What you do is you text 77977. Text the word give WC to 77977. Give WC, it's one word, give WC to 77977. And it gets you to our Push Pay app, and that's how you give at Woodland Church. Or you can give online if you're at home, wc.org/slash give. And you can get set up for recurrent giving. Or you can mail in your check, One Fellowship Drive, the Woodlands, Texas 77384. Or you can give stocks, assets. The point is give. Give for God's glory. What will be the contribution of your life? You see, there are two types of people in the world, givers and takers. Only the givers are remembered. Only the givers make a difference. And so we can't all give the same amount, but we can give by God's power and God's glory. And when we begin to give, we begin to give God first place in a very important area of our lives. It breaks the grip of materialism. It breaks the grip of worry with financial fears and uncertainties of the future. When we, God, I'm in your hands. I give, I give. And I'm praying for you, for God's blessing in your life during this time. But also, I'm praying for God to multiply those gifts because we're stretching, we're reaching people more than ever. We're making such a difference. And the Lord says to bring the whole tithe, the 10% to the storehouse, which is the church. And then see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour a blessing on you so great, you won't be able to contain it that you cannot give God. But what's so amazing is it's not just meeting your needs financially, it's the things that money can't buy, the things even more important, purpose and meaning. And knowing that your life's making a difference. When you come to the end of your life, is there anything that you will have done that will make a difference for all eternity? You know, a lot of things we do won't make a difference for five minutes, but every minute you spend serving others, through Woodland Church, every minute you spend, every dime you spend in giving through your church for the kingdom of God, that's eternal because it brings people to heaven. 
What lasts forever? Two things last forever, folks. What are those two things? One is this book, the word of God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. And the second thing are the souls of men and women. The souls of men and women. And so when you spend time in God's word, like you're doing right now, and when you give of your time and your treasure to bring people to heaven, that's gonna last forever. Every dime we spend on ourselves, gonna go up in smoke. But when we give to God, that will last for all eternity because it brings souls to heaven. Spend your life on what lasts. I could have some stickers up here that say temporary and I could go out to your car temporary. Maybe I could go out and, and you're driving a car from the 1980s and it's just barely going and I could stick temporary on it. Or maybe you're driving the, the newest, most expensive car out there and I put the same sticker on it, it's temporary. It's temporary. I could put on your wardrobe, temporary. I could put on your house, temporary. But what you do right now, that's eternal. That's eternal. It makes all the difference in the world. When you minister to people, the souls of men and women, and when you spend time in God's word, it lasts forever, for all eternity. And that's why what we do at Woodland Church lasts forever. Now, one day, this building's gonna crumble to dust, and it will not be here anymore. One day, everything you see here will crumble to dust, but there'll be thousands alive in heaven because of what we're doing. That's what matters. That's all that matters. Lord, bless our giving. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.